Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truths for enduring suffering and victory over persecution. Notice the Lord Jesus said that the gates of hell would not prevail against His church in Matthew 8, 16, 18. The first century church was evidence of this, and persecution has never destroyed the church of Jesus Christ. The only thing that ruins the church is compromise and luxury. No longer depending on God, but on man, the arm of flesh. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. In the Bill of Rights, the First Amendment allows for the freedom of religion. But what happens when a particular religion is no longer popular with the people? Today, as we continue our visit to the seven churches mentioned in the book of Revelation, Pastor Xavier shares what happens when you have to make a choice regarding your social standing and your faith. Let's listen. Revelation chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 8 to 11, and the message is entitled, The Suffering Church, Smyrna, which is the second church. The message just are applicable, remember, to all of us today, and not merely to the churches of John's day. Keep in mind that the seven messages to the seven churches are representative of four things, as we have noted and will continue to repeat. First, it's a local church in John's day, a literal church. Second, it describes a period of church history, and we give you that period. Thirdly, it's a type of congregation that can and will exist throughout the church age. And fourth, is a type of Christian in your personal relationship to the Lord what kind of a Christian are you? An Ephesian, a Sardian, a Laodicean, what it is. There's also a pattern that we've seen, and it will be repeated through all seven. And it consists of the following. First, there's proclamation. Second is the commendation. Third is the condemnation. Then there's exhortation. And fifth, there's application. So Smyrna here is the only one that doesn't have condemnation. She's suffering. She's being a faithful witness to the Lord. When you're suffering, you don't have time to be playing around. So let's begin with um, historical information about Smyrna. The city of Smyrna was located about 40 miles northeast of, the, of Ephesus in modern-day Turkey today, Izmir, with a population of about 200,000, a pretty good-sized community. The city had uh, been founded as a Greek colony about 1,000 B.C., and was a very wealthy, prosperous city with its harbor narrow enough to close it at wartime, which would be a great protection for her. In 600 B.C., the city was destroyed by the Lydians, rebuilt by Lassimachus and Antigonus in 90 B.C., a model city. Smyrna, as a poor city, was successful in exports trade by commanding the mouth of the Hermes River Valley with a direct trade route from India and Persia to Rome. So wealth went through there. It was just a very prosperous time. The city was brilliant with great architect, buildings, stadiums for the yearly games, uh, theaters. The city had a large Jewish population, and with her allegiance to Rome, it made it very difficult to live as a Christian. 
You had persecution from the Christian community because early Christians were all Jewish and they were thought to be renegades, traitors. And then you had, of course, Rome, the pagan empire that went against Christianity at this time and the years following. The name Smyrna is a Semitic origin, meaning bitter. It's derived from its commercial product, myrrh, from a tree that yields and it needs to be crushed to release its fragrance. Think about the words to Smyrna. She's being crushed by persecution, and it becomes a sweet fragrance aroma to the Lord. The myrrh was used for perfume, embalming, holy anointing oil for the priests, and the purification for women. We get this in Exodus 30:23, Esther 2:12, in John 19:59. Now the church of Smyrna, without doubt, Paul could have been responsible for the founding of it directly or indirectly. We're not certain, but Paul was over all that region, and much of the work resulted from the ones he had set up. Smyrna, again, is known as the suffering church who was being crushed in that sweet-smelling aroma again as the Lord looks upon his martyrs. Consequently, it was a pure church, a holy, faithful church, a rich church spiritually, not materially, Persecution has never hurt the church. It's only purified it and make it grow. So this was the historical information about Smyrna. Now, let me read our text, and it'll make sense as we move through it. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your worst tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not but are the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be heard by the second death. The proclamation comes in verse 8. The identity of the recipient, notice of the letter, is to the angel of Smyrna. Uh, the angel, once again, like Ephesus, it means the messenger from God. The context, again, is a person who is over the church, a minister, not an angel, literally. The name Smyrna means bitter, as we stated, yet it produces a sweet fragrance of God, almost a contradiction. The command to Smyrna, as to Ephesus, was to identify and address her personal situation and suffering. Have you ever noticed that Jesus is very personal to you and he deals with you, your situation, not your neighbor? He comes to you where you're at. And he deals with you, your suffering, your marriage, your children, whatever it may be. The period of uh, church history, again, 100 to 312, a very long period of time from the first one. The apostles of Jesus were all dead by this time under martyrdom. John is the last and he died through natural death. Now, tradition, as we said in chapter 1, that they attempted to boil John in oil, but he didn't die, and they sent the island of Patmos. He received the revelation, then he became the pastor of Ephesus afterwards. Now, notice the identity of the writer is Jesus Christ. Again, the words are those of Jesus, not John. These things says... The chain of command has been given to us in chapter 1, verse 1. God the Father to the Son, the Son to his angel, the angel to John, John to us in the book of Revelation. The blessings was to the one who reads chapter 1, verse 3. 
Don't let anybody tell you if you're a Christian only a week old that you can't read and study the book of Revelation. You have the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the mind of Christ. You can get into the book of Revelation. The seven messages were to be sent to all seven churches, as we've seen in chapter 1, verse 11. It's always presented in the plural. And the division of the book is given to us, the table of contents in chapter 1, verse 19. The things that they saw, the glorified Christ in chapter 1, the things that are, chapter 2 and 3, the church age, and then the things hereafter metatelta. Once chapter 4 hits, chapter 4 and 5 were rapture, were before the throne of God. Chapter 6 opens up the great tribulation, goes all the way to 19, and then the second coming of Jesus Christ. A threefold division, so we cannot mess it up. The two characteristics that identify Jesus, notice, are appropriate to the church as we saw also in Ephesus. The first and the last, which once again is taken from chapter 1, the glorified Christ in chapter 1, verse 17. So all the identity that Jesus gives himself are taken from chapter 1. Listen to Isaiah 44, 6. He says, I am the first, the last, and besides me there is no God. That's God's statement about God's. (laughs) He is it. He takes full responsibility for everything created through him, for him. He holds everything together, Colossians 1, 16 through 17, and Revelation 4, 11. There's no one like God. He's the only one. He is the preeminent head of the church and the judge of all mankind. One day, every person will stand before God, either in the bema seat of Christ to be rewarded as a Christian or in the white throne judgment to be judged for their sins and to be eternally separated from God. Notice the one who was dead, came to life. So once again, going back to chapter 1, verse 18, this is identity. Literally became dead, the historical era stating only the past fact. He's not dead any longer. He literally did die in the past, in our place, for me, for you. Now notice our Lord here identified himself to these persecuted and suffering saints as one who has also suffered but conquered, being able to comfort, for he is the God of all comfort, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, we can come before the throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need. Any time of the day, 3 in the morning, 2 in the evening, it doesn't make any difference. God never turns you away. Remember, Myr again was announcing his death and his life of suffering. Matthew 2, 11. Wine was mixed with myrrh and offered to him on the cross. Matthew 15, 32. Myrrh was mixed with aloes and was for his embalming. John 19, 39 through 40. The personal experience of Jesus, the scriptures tell us that he tasted death for everyone, destroying him who had the power of death in Hebrews 2, 9 and 14. So that's one of the very carnal doctrines of the gospel. To be saved, that you believe Jesus literally died for you and took your place and destroyed him who had the power of death. The Lord Jesus, by his death, paid the atoning price, redeemed the loss by becoming sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him in 2 Corinthians 5.21. And then the Lord rose from the dead, out of the grave, three days afterwards. This is the cornerstone of the gospel, the proclamation. Without it, there is no good news. It's just religion. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, we're wasting our time. And we are of all men and women to be most pitied, Paul says. Why? Because that means that we're still in our sins. And we've been lied and deceived. Such is not the case. This was the proclamation to Smyrna. Next comes 
the commendation in verse 9. Jesus, notice, knew what they were doing and had done in the past. The word works, some say, does not exist or appear in what they consider to be the best of manuscripts. You'll have some of your footnotes in your Bibles. They're talking about the Sinaiticus, Vaticanus, and maybe one more Alexandrian text. But it's a matter of opinion whether those are the best or not. As you have followed with us through the years, we don't believe they are. And it's a dishonest footnote because of what it should say, but it is found in 5,000 other manuscripts. They don't tell you that. Okay? So it's an intellectual dishonest footnote. The commendation of works here is found in every other church, all six of them. It's hard for me to believe that the suffering church would not have works to be commended for. Of course it would. So how interesting it is that you say, well, this is not found in the best of manuscripts, you remove it, and then the next generation never knows that you removed it, and then you remove other things, and pretty soon you have a gospel that's just eliminated from all key things, right? This intellectual dishonesty comes from the pit of hell. The work of God costs them everything, as we will see, even their very lives. Now notice Jesus knew there's tribulation there, verse 9. The word tribulation means oppressing together, pressure. That which causes affliction, that which causes distress. Jesus told the disciples that in the world they would have tribulation, but to be a good cheer, he had overcome the world in John 16, 33. He gives us that peace that not like the world gives, but that passes all understanding. Notice Jesus knew their poverty. The word poverty means extreme poverty. Nothing at all. The word is used for the Christians in Macedonia by Paul in 2 Corinthians 8, 2. Of their deep poverty, yet they abounded in their giving to the poor saints of Jerusalem. And Paul uses that to rebuke the Corinthians. You know, you guys said a year ago you want to give. You haven't given. These guys are poor to the bone. And yet they wouldn't stop us from giving. They, They said, don't do that, Paul. Our Jewish community gave us our Messiah, our scriptures. The least we can do is help them with the little that we have. Wow. The word is used here of their spiritual poverty, but it's also used of poverty of Jesus. He took on himself in order that we might become rich in him in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Listen, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that through, uh, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. Spiritually speaking, children of God. Now, the pressure of persecution for their faith no doubt affected their finances as they were boycotted and marked as Christians, bringing financial ruin to many of them. This is a reality of Christianity all over the world. Not here in America yet, but we see it already taking effect and coming. You can worship and believe in anything you want. You'll be thought of as brilliant. But you tell them you're a Christian and you're going to pay a price. It begins with the academic world. It goes into the media, to our politicians, and now it's moving to legislation. That's just where it's going. And so they would not be able to get jobs. They would be outcasts. They would be marked. They'd lose everything. And this has been the history of the church everywhere in the world when they turn to persecute Christians. Now notice still in 9, Jesus knew that they were rich. How could Jesus say this to them? This was the church that had received persecution and was going to experience a lot more persecution from 64 to 312 AD until Constantine marries the church to the world and then makes it a state religion 
and commands everybody to be a Christian, and those are the foundations of the Catholic Church. And again, we'll get to that when we get there. Now, the church was told, but you are rich. Plusios is the word, which means a Christian virtues and eternal possessions, meaning the certainty of spiritual well-being, not possessions. The context indicates that. We get our English word plutocrat, a wealthy class that controls a government. Those that have wealth, they control it. The saints of the church of Smyrna had little or no money bank, but an abundance of treasures in heaven. Paul puts it this way. We have the unsearchable riches of Christ as our blessing in Ephesians 3.8. You can't exhaust his resources, spiritually speaking. Now notice the church of Smyrna stood in sharp contrast to the church of Laodicea, the apostate church, when we get there in chapter 3, verse 17. The world thinks that the measure of a man's success or value is on the abundance of things um, that you possess. And Jesus warned his disciples over and over again all the time about this. The philosophy has not changed. It's who, who do you see bumper stickers, the one who dies with the most toys wins. What a stupid sticker. You won't be able to ride your toys in hell. The author to the Hebrews reminds them of how they had endured the spoiling of their material things for the name of Christ in Hebrews 10.34. In the book of Hebrews, the great exhortation of those who are looking back and they're waning and, they, and they're, they're thinking about going back to the world. He says, consider all that you've sacrificed, all that you lost. Are you going to let it go now? And so we're to exhort one another to abide, to press towards the mark, to stay in Christ. Remember God's perspective through James, James 2.5. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those, here it is, who love him? What's going to hold you between faith and hope is agape love, your love for God. If your love for God is not greater than the world, your faith will wane and you'll have no hope. Faith and hope is put together and held together by God's love, your love for God. What holds you to your wife, your husband, your love? If you don't love them more than what comes into your life, you'll be going for what comes into your life. And you'll be disloyal. It's real simple. We're not to store up treasures here on earth, but heaven. But the meaning that our, our hearts, it literally is that they don't depend on those things. In other words, nothing wrong with the money or material or this and that. It's living for those things. Yet we as Americans, we are different than the majority of the church. The majority of church of history have not have great wealth. Not real Christians I'm talking about when they're persecuted. We've had the freedom of speech and, you know, the First Amendment and, and, and freedom of religion by the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. So we've been able to do that. But to be a steward of what we have, that we might be examples to others and benevolent to others, but not simply to hoard for ourselves. That is never the Christian. Now remember, the rich steward that trusted and depended on his riches without considering the true riches. He says, you know, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and I'll just say to my soul, have ease and take time for yourself. And Jesus says, now fool, tonight your soul is required you. And then to whom will all these things belong to? Luke 12, 16 through 21. 
And Jesus knew the blasphemy. Notice they were experiencing still in nine. The word blasphemy means slander or speech that is injurious to another's good name. It can be towards man or towards God. The context will indicate that. Now, notice the Lord tells them that the individuals say they were Jews, but were not. Many say that they're Christians today, but they're not. And some go back in the world, and some are not Christians at all. These were those who assembled, as the word synagogue indicates, to congregate. And they planned together to bring their slanderous, vicious attacks against the Christian. The reference is not so much that they met in a literal synagogue, but only they identified themselves with the old economy of Israel to bring persecution to the Christian. If you go through the book of Acts, you see this. Paul would go to the synagogue, and then they would persecute him. The scriptures are clear that not all who say they were of Israel were of Israel. A person was not a Jew by the outward mark of circumcision, as Paul says, but circumcision of the heart in Romans 2, 28 and 29. They being ignorant of the righteousness of God, seeking to establish their own righteousness, having not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God, Paul says in Romans 10, 3. And many people who are religious, moral, and ethical want to do that. Well, I think I can stand before God. I think I'm good enough. You don't, you don't, you don't understand what you're saying. Not all are Israel, but only those who are of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the promises of the Messiah. Galatians 3, 16 and 29, the book of Romans is very, very clear also. Now notice still in 9, the Lord identifies them as being of the synagogue of Satan. Pretty heavy words. It is revealed in the revelation here, the ultimate source of Christian persecution. Who is it? It's satanic. Just like anti-Semitism is from Satan. Same thing. The revelation will unfold even more as it progresses about Satan in chapter 3, chapter 9, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 20. He's the source behind the entire thing. He will use people as instruments, nations, governments, individuals, but he's the source, the ultimate source. The Lord Jesus told the Jews of this day, listen carefully, in John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Remember, the word devil means slander. He was the source of the blasphemy at Smyrna. He was a slander in the book of Genesis against God and then turned on Adam and Eve also. Notice the Lord Jesus said that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church in Matthew 8, 16, 18. The first century church was evidence of this and persecution has never destroyed the church of Jesus Christ. Study its history, but history around the world. The church in China during Mao's reign, as you know, the Cultural Revolution, they imprisoned Christians, killed Christians. They took all the books away. All educators tortured them, imprisoned them, put them in camps, re-educational camps. And yet the church flourished. It went underground. God had to kick the missionaries out to make the church grow under persecution. Figure that out. The only thing that ruins the church is compromise and luxury. Let me say that again. The only thing that ruins the church is compromise and luxury. When it's depended upon, it's lived for the Lord has no condemnation, notice, for the church of Smyrna. Smyrna was a suffering church. Smyrna had no time to play games, only remember their Lord and depend upon Him. 
Pastor Xavier Uris, sharing important simple truths for the believer in confronting worldliness as we continue a telling series of the seven churches of the book of Revelation. And you can hear this message again if you like online anytime by selecting today's date under the radio tab at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But you can request your own CD copy of today's encouraging study from the book of Revelation called The Suffering Church, Smyrna. They're available upon request for just $4. And this is one message you'll want to pass along to those you fellowship with. The title to ask for once again is The Suffering Church, Smyrna. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you mention the call letters of this station when you contact us. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Next time we're together, Pastor Xavier Reese tells us how to prepare for persecution. That's right here on the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com